Good morning. Good morning. Our worship service is beginning. I invite those of you at home to light a candle during the prelude so that we may all share in the light of Christ during this time. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Well, hello. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Memory Stones. It's my honor to serve as liturgist this morning. We want to welcome all of you who are joining us here in the sanctuary, those of you who are joining us via Facebook live stream. We are so glad that you are all with us here this morning with this, for this time of worship. If you're watching via Facebook, it would be helpful if you would like our live stream or leave a comment so that we would know that you are watching. Good morning, St. Paul's. Don't you love the sound of that voice coming from the balcony? That sound that says, there is new life in this church. And we are actually, we're opening our nursery officially today, uh, but I am really always okay if our little ones stay in church with us. It is such a joy. Uh, <clears throat> before I share a couple of announcements with you, you may remember that Native American Ministries were, Sunday was earlier this week, and we mentioned that it shouldn't be something that we do just once a year. So in light of the awareness of our heritage, and as we are looking and learning more about the horrific atrocities that occurred in the federal native boarding schools in Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Arizona, St. Paul's United Methodist Church acknowledges the land on which we meet is, was, and will always be native land. We acknowledge the indigenous tribes to Oklahoma, the Wichita's, the Caddo's, the Plains Apaches, and the Quapaws as the original custodians of the land in this place we call Oklahoma. We respect those who came here as a result of Trail of Tears, the Choctaw, the Cherokee, the Creek, the Chickasaw, and the Seminole people. And we grieve. We grieve the violence done to native language, culture, and personhood. As you all know so dearly, one of St. Paul's core values is that of reconciliation. And we embrace the ongoing work of reconciliation among all of God's creation. May this awareness and work towards reconciliation be ever present with us as a community. Will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks for this day. God, we give you thanks for the way that we are seeing you pop up all over the place and we get to be a part of it. God, we give you thanks that you called us here to this place today. Whether you called us to the sanctuary or called us to join on worship through, <clears throat> to join worship online. God, we know we don't have to ask you to show up because you're always there. So instead, we ask you to help us to show up. Remove the distractions, remove the things that might keep us from fully embracing this time with you. Let us experience you through music, through word, through interaction with our church family, so that when we leave today, we can say we have seen the risen Christ. Amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons, regardless of age, ethnicity, 
income, nationality, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. Morning is from Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately crossed over to Macedonia being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, on to the following day to Neapolis and from there on to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, I think the greatest prayer I have had so far this morning is just that Thank you, God, seeing all the children back in our sanctuary and for our parents and families and the grown-ups that have stayed patient during these last two years as we've had to curtail things a bit and still entrust us with your children and uh, what a blessing for us all. Before I share the pastoral prayer, um, I want us to begin our time this morning with a remembrance of Reverend Marita Harrell. She was serving a congregation in Atlanta, Georgia, Connections at Metropolitan United Methodist Church. On Friday, she was brutally murdered by a member of the community that she had been reaching out and trying to help. That church is in loss and mourning today. So we lift up the <coughs> friends and the family of Marita Harrell and we lift up the Congregation of Connections Metropolitan United Methodist Church. Lord, in your mercy. And we lift up the man who killed her, Christopher Greggs, and his family and his loved ones as well. Lord, in your mercy. Oh, gracious and loving God, you are indeed our God of peace and comfort. During this time of prayer, help us turn from thinking from thinking to simply being. Make us mindful of your presence and let us find rest in this space as we breathe in your spirit. God of hope, 
when the world is confusing and frustrating and tragic, you bring light and hope. We give you thanks for the lessons learned, for changes of heart, for fresh discoveries made for new paths, and for new ways of understanding. We pray this morning for those who are confused or afraid, for those who feel anger or despair, <clears throat> for those who struggle with the question why. God, give us hope in this time and turn our hearts to you. Lord, in your mercy. <laughs> Gracious God, there is so much conflict and hostility and antagonism all around us and yes, within us. Personal relationships are often tense and it seems that everywhere we look, the world community is at odds. Yet we give you thanks for your steadfast presence in the face of all that brings uncertainty and worry these days. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for understanding to prevail in relationships at home and at work and in our community and in our country. And we pray for diplomacy to end conflict and threat <clears throat> among all nations as we continue to hold before you Ukraine and its people, as well as all countries and peoples who are facing the brutality of war. Lord, in your mercy. Oh, gracious God, we pray for the hatred in our country to be replaced with understanding and compassion. We pray for a country where all people, regardless of color of their skin, the practice of their faith, their gender identity or sexual orientation, can live safely and freely. We pray that we can create a society where gun violence and mass shootings no longer exist. Loving God, remind us that this war-torn, violence-filled world is not your plan for children, but rather the result of greed, selfishness, and fear. God, give us peace in these times. Turn our hearts to you and help us to be instruments of your peace. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for those who face loss and hardship in these uncertain times and all who know sorrow and suffering. Hear us, gracious God, in this time of silence as we name before you those who are on our hearts this day. Lord, in your mercy. God of joy, we give you thanks for those moments of joy and celebration in our lives, for the small pleasures both given and received. And we pause for a moment to say thank you. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for St. Paul's United Methodist Church for the people that have come together to be a community of support as we grow in our walk with you. Gracious God, pour out your blessings upon us. Give us the courage, the strength, and the desire to walk where you lead us. Give us ears to hear your voice and fill us with your spirit. Renew in each of us a commitment to be Easter people who show the resurrected Christ of compassion and love to those in our midst. Lord, in your mercy. And God, we ask that you be with those whom no one lifts in prayer, those forgotten by society, forgotten by their families. 
yet known and loved by you. Lord, in your mercy. God of grace, we ask that you receive these prayers and the unspoken prayers of our hearts. Deepen our trust in you for the days ahead. For we offer ourselves as Jesus' friends and followers, using the words that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's gospel reading is part of Jesus' farewell discourse. So yes, we've gone from the resurrection now back to uh, <coughs> the farewell discourse, which is John chapters 14 through 17. It's the time when Jesus gathers his disciples <clears throat> as what we have come to know as the Last Supper, the evening before his arrest, and he's preparing them for life without his earthly presence. And in today's reading, he will speak about sending the Advocate or the Holy Spirit, and we'll celebrate that in two weeks on Pentecost Sunday, June 5th. I'll be reading today from the Gospel of John 14, 23 through 29. This is a reading from the Gospel, so I invite you to stand or rise in your seats. Jesus answered his disciples, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father <coughs> will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. <coughs> I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you will believe. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Before we talk about this reading in John, I want to go back to the scripture that memory read. You notice I gave memory the scripture with all the hard, big words. That was on purpose. She's a librarian. She knows how to read those words. Her scripture came from Acts. It's the story of the birth of the church, and it's written by the same person that wrote the Gospel of Luke, a volume one and two, if you will. And when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, he tells them to stay and wait, to stay in Jerusalem. 
Now in Luke's gospel, the disciples wait with eager anticipation and they go to the temple often. You may remember in the gospel of John, they're scared and they hide behind locked doors. Well, in the book of Acts, eventually the Holy Spirit does. It comes like a gush of wind and it compels them to go spread the news of Jesus. Meanwhile, Paul, who was a Jewish leader and a fierce persecutor of the followers of Jesus, he had this conversion experience that lights him on fire and he is compelled to, share, to spread the good news of Jesus, to spread it well beyond the area of Jerusalem and Israel. In today's reading, Paul has a vision, a nudge, if you will, that leads him to Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman city in Europe. Interesting, that's not where Paul was headed at first. If we backed up a couple of scriptures, it'll say, well, they started out here, but something happened, and they had to go back. They started out here, and a door closed. You see, he wanted to go to other places, but roadblocks kept occurring and turning him in different directions. And I wonder, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever known exactly where it was you were going and what you were going to do? You have the best laid plans and you are convinced that this is where God is leading you. But something happens, doors close, and maybe with great disappointment, you find yourself in another place or on another path. But then, but then you can tell that this new place, this new path, is just where God intended you to be. Don't you love those God moments? Now, Timothy and Silas are also traveling with Paul. And for some reason on the Sabbath, they decide to go to the city, to the river, and they encounter a group of women having prayer. The leader of the group is Lydia. Now, we don't get a lot of detail about her, yet we can assume that she was the leader of the group. She was a businesswoman, and she dealt with selling the purple cloth. Now, purple cloth was very expensive because of all the things that it took to make it, and so it was only available to the wealthy. That's why we see purple as the, the color of royalty. And we know that Lydia was the head of her household and that she had a home large enough to provide lodging for Paul and Silas and Timothy. And here on this chance encounter by the river, Paul starts telling these women about Jesus. Now I can only imagine that he begins by telling them some of the miracle stories to get their attention. But then he begins to tell them about the words that Jesus spoke about loving God and trusting God, about having a personal relationship with God, about making, accepting others and bringing them into the fold a way of life rather than excluding others. I can imagine that he told them that Jesus didn't hang out with the rich and the powerful. No, he hung out with the outcast and those shunned by the community. I imagine that he told them that when Jesus was arrested, he didn't try to fight or beget, cause a rebellion, but he continued to show love for all, even as he died on the cross. And I'm confident 
that he told them that even after Jesus died, that didn't stop God or the work that Jesus had begun. I'm sure he told them that when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his death, he told them, keep doing my work. I won't be here, but God's going to send the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, my Spirit, to live in you and to give you the inspiration and the courage you need. And I wonder, if someone asked you to tell them about God and why you follow Jesus, what story would you tell them? As they talked, Lydia got it. The scripture says the Lord opened her heart. She understood and she said, I want to be a part of this. And the other women did too. So often Paul gets a bad rap for how he treats women. But friends, those scriptures have been taken out of context. But that's a sermon for another day. Because what we see here is that Paul gladly welcomes these women into the community. He baptizes Lydia and her household. He baptizes the other women that are with her. The first European converts to becoming followers of Jesus were women baptized by Paul. And did you notice what Lydia did after she was baptized? She didn't say, thank you very much, and go off on her way. No, she said, come and stay at my house. Come, let me help you. Come, let me do what I can to support your ministry. And they do. Now, we don't know how long they stay, but when they do leave, Paul and Silas get thrown into jail. And after this dramatic jailbreak, where do they go? They go back to Lydia's and they stay with her. And they begin to establish the church of Philippi, the people to whom Paul sends letters that we have come to know as the book of Philippians. The first seed of Christianity in Europe began as Lydia responded to the radical transformative love offered by Jesus and she responded with an invitation to come, come and stay at my house. See friends, that was an invitation that extended well beyond simple hospitality. It was an invitation that said, now that I have received this gift of unfailing, un unyielding grace and love, I want to do what I can to help others. And friends, that's the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to come and worship on Sunday mornings. Yes, that's important. And it is a foundational cornerstone of our faith. Coming on to church on Sunday is what we do to renew and strengthen our relationship with God and to grow in our understanding of who God calls us to be. That's what we do to build community. It's what we do to support one another in this journey. For me, I have to admit, my time with you on Sunday morning is my B12 shot for the week. It renews me and it inspires me to make it through the rest of the week. But friends, Sunday morning worship is not our mission. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Paul's mission was to share the news of Christ so that others could be transformed and Lydia's transformation led to hospitality 
that opened the door for others to be transformed. You see, my friends, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they couldn't spread the word on their own. They needed help. And that's what Lydia offered. Lydia gave what she could. She opened her home, and some speculate that she helped support their ministry financially. And friends, Lydia showed us all what it means to be the church. You see, for the last two years, excuse me, we have had to stop so many of our missions and ministries. For a time, there were only a handful of us here on Sunday morning to live stream our worship service. Yes, we continued to have worship, but we had to suspend so many of the ways that we as a church lived out our call to ministry. But as God has promised us, our future is filled with hope and the opportunity for missionary, for ministry abounds. But friends, it is going to take all of us. The church is not run by pastors and staff. No, friends, the powerhouse, the powerhouse of the church is you, the congregation, those who make the wheels turn. What would our music program be if it were just Phyllis and Stephen and Debbie? We need voices to sing. We need hands to ring the bells. And now that we have a children's director, we need volunteers to help teach our children on Sunday mornings. We'll be starting manna meals later this summer. But people won't be fed unless we have volunteers, volunteers to cook and to serve, and yes, to clean up. A community garden doesn't grow by itself. It needs to be tended. And making our presence known to the community by marching in the pride parade needs people to show up and either walk or ride in the trailer. And yes, friends, we need those who like Lydia can help financially support our ministries by giving back to God through St. Paul's. And we need dreamers. We need dreamers to help us continually discern where God is leading us. Friends, Christianity was never, ever, ever meant to only be about personal salvation. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in the gospel that we read this morning? Those who keep my word, not those who will, <clears throat> not those who love me will have a warm, gushy feeling and be sure that they have a ticket to heaven, not those who love me will come to church every Sunday. No, those who love me will keep my word. They will do what I have asked. They do what I have shown them. They feed my sheep. They welcome the little children. They make room for the outcast. They stand up for the oppressed. They open doors that have been slammed shut. Those who love me take care of the sick. They provide for those who have little. They tear down walls of oppression and discrimination. They love one another. All the one another's. Friends, those are the words of Jesus that we are called to do, to keep those words in our hearts and let them be the cornerstone of who we are. People who love Jesus and people who keep Jesus' word. One of my favorite pieces of art is the statue that was erected outside the National Memorial in Oklahoma City after the bombing. 
It's a statue that's called Jesus Wept, and it's Jesus with his hands in his head as he weeps. And oh, my friends, I believe that Jesus does indeed weep when he sees what we have done to Christianity and how far we have taken it away from what he showed us as he walked this earth. I am tired and I am angry at how people use the church to lash out and to harm others. So many of the atrocities that have been done to humanity have been done in the name of the church. Not just historically as reasoning for conquering people and lands, but friends, it continues today. I am tired of hearing political ads starting out with, I'm a Christian. No, quit using that label of a means, <clears throat> of a means that I should vote for you. Tell me what it means to you. Tell me how you are keeping Jesus' word and how your agenda aligns with what Jesus taught us and what Jesus showed us, not how your agenda aligns with the rich and the powerful. For the past couple of weeks, I have been meeting with some of our LGBTQ plus young adults. I've been meeting with them to provide them a safe place for them to talk about how the church has been such an instigator of hate and harm and abuse in their lives. Now they will tell you that St. Paul's is the exception to the rule. That's one of the things that I love about our new church. We're going to break that rule of oppression and hatred and boldly state that we love everyone. But friends, we cannot sit back and smugly think we are a church that affirms and celebrates. We've done our job. No, friends, we must go way beyond extending welcoming hospitality and become an active change agent in the image of the, <clears throat> the church. The first night we met, one of the young adults said to me, I am trying to figure out why and if I really need church. It has been the abuser in my life. Why should it, I be a part of it? I found myself rushing to defend. Oh, but not St. Paul's. And they remind me that yes, St. Paul's is different, but it is still the church and it has been the vehicle that has been used for so many hate-filled atrocities. And although I have known that to be true, I have wrestled with it for the past few weeks. And I have come to realize that the people of the church, the power structure of the church, the doctrine of the church, that is what has been so hurtful, not the church. Because my friends, the church is the risen body of Christ and Christ does not conform to the ways of this world, but rather stays true to the embodiment of love. I am so sad to say that I often see the risen body of Christ in people that turn their back on organized religion more than I do on those who wear the label Christian for personal gain. Friends, we can no longer be complacent in our view that St. Paul's is different from other churches, that we are not like those judgmental condemning churches. We must name religious hypocrisy when we see it. 
We can no longer be silent when we see legislation being passed that takes rights away from others and claiming that it is being done in the name of God. We must no longer be silent when we see white supremacists claiming that white people are the chosen people of God and will not be replaced. We must no longer be silent when people put other people at risk by saying that God will provide a protective shield so we don't need science to guide our actions. And friends, we must no longer be silent when we let a handful of loud vocal parents and legislatures decide what our public schools will teach rather than the educators and the standards of the community. That's why it's called public education. And friends, we can no longer let that distorted voice of organized religion become the voice of the risen Christ. Oh, friends, there is so much work to be done. And I give thanks that God has called the people of St. Paul's to do that work in whatever form it presents itself. I give thanks for our unity and our commitment for creating a safe place for people who have been shattered and torn apart by loud, clanging religious voices. Religious voices that have caused their family members to reject them. Yet they have found acceptance in this sanctuary. One of our adults told me, I have found a bunch of grandmas at this church that love me. Over the last few weeks, I have come to realize how brave our LGBTQ plus people are. They have come back to the institution that has inflicted so much harm. They have faced their abuser and they have come back seeking and longing for a way to connect to God and to grow in their faith community. What bravery. What bravery. And what a powerful nudge from God that must have been to risk so much just by walking through church doors. You see, my friends, that's one of the reasons why it is so important for us to show up for the pride parade, for the community to see that there are churches, that there are United Methodist churches that are safe spaces and brave spaces to search for God and community. A few weeks ago, I visited with a middle-aged gay man who had not been in church for over 20 years. He was a high school friend of a clergy friend of mine in Oklahoma City, and this man lives in Tulsa, and my friend in Oklahoma City asked me to visit with him. This man loved God, but he was convinced that he was going to hell. And why was he convinced of that? because that's what the church had told him. And that's what his, they went to church every Sunday, parents told him. He needed to hear a voice of the church. He needed to hear a pastor say, you are loved and you are cherished by God just as you are. He needed to hear that even though we all sin and fall short, his being gay was not a sin. It was how his creator made him. And to not to deny that denies God's creation. He had been raised and indoctrinated with the loud cry, love the sinner, hate the sin. Rhetoric that says, yes, we love you, 
but we don't like you, so change who you are so we can like you. After we talked, we came and sat in the sanctuary for a while. I heard several deep breaths come from him and his eyes filled with tears. He had those sighs of feeling safe, at least for a while. I invited him to come join us for church sometime. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, I am sure it would be nice, but I'm just not ready to take that chance. Oh, friends, may we move beyond radical hospitality and welcoming at St. Paul's and intentionally work to make God's kingdom wide and safe and a brave space for all. May we show our love for God by keeping Jesus' word to love one another, all one another's. And may we, may this little church in the heart of Cherry Street, may we be the voice that stands up to religious hypocrisy. May it be so in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and our Sustainer. Amen. So when we seek direction, remind us what is true. My friends, there are amazing things that are happening at St. Paul's, but we can't just let them happen within these walls. God is counting on us to take, to take it out into the streets. Jesus said, those who love me will keep my word and I ask you, what is the word that God has put on your heart? We can't all do it all. And so God puts different words on different hearts. So whatever it is that God is calling you to do, leave this place knowing that the Spirit will guide you and lead you. Leave this place with that call on your heart and take it to the community. Go in peace and go in love. Amen. Oh,